I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us my favourite cousin, author and screenwriter, Marie Mankara. Welcome, Marie. Oh, hi. I shouldn't be saying welcome because we're at your amazing house. <laughs> it's awesome. This is absolutely stunning. We get... Can I just uh, just say that was the longest Steve? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, yeah. Sorry, it's a bit of an ongoing joke with the way I say Steve. <laughs> um, but this place here, we're, we're sitting in Savannah Woodland in the top end of the Northern Territory, away from everything, and we're surrounded. We're, we're driving here, we saw three frontic lizards yeah a snake which we didn't manage it was quicker than quicker than us what an amazing place like wow you get the hand feed agile wild agile wallabies come up to your back door Mm. oh yes dingoes that run through the bottom yep the sheds full of bats (laughs) snakes abound (laughs) (laughs) i love everything about it um so we're family we've um we've You've known me since I was born. <laughs> I've known you since you were born, yes. And, and might I say what a beautiful little baby you were. <laughs> Thank you. Were you gorgeous. <laughs> Pictures, all that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was gorgeous. He was a really sweet kid. He really was. Really and sweet. I say that you're responsible for me living with 100 animals on a, on a bush block. Because when I was a baby, you took me around and taught me about... Well, I'm very happy to put up my hand and be responsible for that. Yeah, we just had a five-minute chat before this, and that I came to that conclusion instantly that Marie is responsible for Adrian. Well, that's yeah. good. At least I've done some good in the world before I pass, yes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've done lots of good. You've got amazing books that have helped... Your books that t- tell your story mm. about how you were taken from your birth mum when you were three. Mm. And... And that book would have been not easy to write, but it also, also would have been so healing to write at the same time and healing to people that read that book, your story of what you went through. So, Of Ashes uh, and Rivers That Run to the Sea. Yes. That's an amazing book. But you know what? It was an absolute joy to write. It wasn't, it wasn't hard at all. It was absolutely a beautiful thing to write because I'm writing about something that is real and right. It is so right because, you know, there's so so much that we can deny or sort of like be afraid to say but you know we don't need to be afraid and um and I've never been afraid and it was just a really wonderful book to write all of my books have have um every word is a piece of my soul a little part of my soul you know and yeah it's just such a good thing to think that you know what um we all have a right to sort of like be who we are and say who we are, but we don't always have the, the, the means to do it. And I have just been so lucky to be able to write and do that. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. And um, I would never have said no to do this. You know, it just came naturally anyway. But if someone said to me, do you want to do this? I would have been, yes, yes, yep, yes. And I think that strength of writing those books and your stories inspires other people that maybe haven't got those abilities because I especially like being a guy and I don't mean to be stereotypical about guys <laughs> but we uh, we tend to not express things we tend to be the opposite of expressing things and we tend to repress things and we get angry and we'll go play footy and we'll go have a fight and we'll we'll yell and we'll we'll go say negative things about ourselves and all these things that we can do 
but what you're doing is just throwing it all out there, getting it all out and just moving past it and leaving it behind. Um, things that would, would kill someone that didn't do those things. You cannot live in the past. You know, what they did to my mother is unforgivable, is unforgivable. But you know what? I, I have to take that story and I have to do something with it. I can't just let it die. I have to say what was, and um, yeah, I just I can't let that I can't let that go. And you know, as a little kid, that was repressed. I was smacked for being too noisy, and I was smacked for this, and I was smacked for that. You know, it's constantly being bloody smacked. And but by, by your European parents, yes, by them. You know, and uh, it was just like this constant sort of like. But I just I just thought about that recently. I thought because I'm writing my film script now for my memoir, you know, and I thought, like, you know what, this is really nice. I never let go of that. I was always, I always hung on to that. I didn't hang on to it because it was like this desperate thing. It was like, you know what, um, some part of me just just thrives, I think. You know, I, 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 none of that killed me. It didn't, it didn't stifle my spirit. I just, you know, I just, I just love what I do and I just love writing about this stuff and... I refuse to live in fear. I refuse to sort of like not be able to speak my mind. Um, and I think that I learnt that when I was a little kid, when I was with my family, because that's how it is when you're at Bush, you know. Everyone has a place. We're all important. We're all special. And I never lost that, despite all those years, all the years, all the sort of like things weren't quite so nice sometimes, but I never lost that. And... Um, and every day still it's exciting to get up and say, yeah, what am I going to do today? I'm going to write about this today. And um, it's great. And I hope that I've given that to my children. And I hope that I inspire kids and, and old people, everyone, you know. We mustn't be afraid. We've, got, we, you know, we've all got something really incredible to say. We've, we, we all have this incredible, incredible stories and um, sometimes some of them make it into the public space and some of them don't. But you know what? Don't ever forget that we've got something amazing to say, all of us, every one of us. Can you talk a little bit about when you reconnected with your birth family and what that was like? Oh. I mean, you spent three years with them, but then you spent the rest of the time, you know, um, in suburbia with... They were assholes. You know, my auntie and uncle were assholes. Mm. Um, you know it, I know it, the whole family knows it. And then it's it's almost like when, when kids have a, you know, crappy things happen to them when they're growing up, you almost have a fantasy land in your head to escape. But you actually had this real land that you could you could go to. And it's a, people's like, people like Steve and I that are into wildlife and nature, we dream about being accepted into, into like the environment where people are still living close to nature with wildlife. It is a fantasy. It's an absolute yeah. fantasy for people. You know, oh. kids that grow up watching, mm. you know, TV shows where they go out and they're land cruisers and do things and, and they eat bush tucker and you, you go, that's, I'm never going to experience that. Mm. That's, and you've got this whole new world. What's that like through your eyes? Well, when I first went back there, um, I was, like, shocked because I had... I had those first three years, yeah, you know, but then I sort of, like, had all the, um, you know, when I first went back to, when I was first coming to the white family, I didn't even speak English. 
I couldn't even speak English properly. And so I was smacked all the time because I just was silent. And so obviously, you know, she's, she's, um, she, you know, she's a little bit slow, you know, or she's, you know, there were always excuses. Yeah, you know, it was never could be ever seen from my eyes, didn't you know. Didn't fit the mould. Yeah, no, and so I was smacked because I didn't respond straight away or didn't say this or I'd say a word and, you know, I mean, I was smacked and, I, and that were words that were there in my head. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Okay, there I go. I go back. I find my family. It was a shock, like, oh, hell, you know, what am I doing here? Um, but it was just like, so like, here I am. It was... So it was like it was like a hand fitting back into a glove. It was just like so nice to be back home again. And you know, I mean I know I know people laughed and I laughed too because I mean what else can you do? Because, you know, goodness sake, me floundering around there, you know, sort of like in the mangroves trying to learn how to hunt and all that sort of stuff. I mean <laughs> I remember I, reading about that. <laughs> I um I'm looking over there, look, is that a little snake coming out of my roof there? Oh sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a bit of bark, isn't it? Oh, it's a bit of bark? Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I'll, I'll get us excited. Oh, no, sorry. No, the, the one time I did see a little snake come here, so I just looked over and thought, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, look, it was just this amazing sort of, like, experience, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm totally out of my depth. But it was like an adventure. It's like, yeah, well, I've got to stick with it. I mean, it's like, oh, God, you know, I was all grubby, and I felt filthy, <laughs> and it's like, oh, when am I going to wash my hair next? And I got, you know, but I, I stuck with it because I just – I just always have this intrigue about you know, these adventures, you know, what am I going to do? Because when I was a little kid, I always knew that I was going to be a writer, right? I always knew I was going to be a writer because I just, um, I'd read, read Secret Seven and Famous Five and all that sort of stuff. And I just really didn't like how they ended. It's like, no, they can't end like that. So I invented this <laughs> character called Trixie. And I was this super detective Trixie that would come along and I would rewrite the ends to their, you know, to sorry Enid Blyton, sorry. But <laughs> I would rewrite the ends to all these books. I had That's my great. own versions. And so, you know, it was always like this waiting for the next adventure, you know. I mean, which is great. And so when I go back and find my family, it was like a bit of a shock. But it's like, no, I'm, this is cool. I'm, I'm right. Um, yeah, like, okay, you know, a few things surprised me. Like there I am one day with my mother we're sitting there and um, oh, well, not a stick of furniture in a house so anyway we're sitting on this little blanket she's playing you know, solitaire and she looks at me and she goes you know she nods and I look around and there's this hole in the wall that someone had kicked in there and there might have been a fight I don't know so I sort of look around and it, like the hole's like there and mummy's there playing and I look around and what's coming out of that hole in the wall but a snake mm. so the snake sort of comes out I'm there. and she's looking at me like you know I'm the and so the snake goes down and it sort of like goes off and then it's sort of like round me and then it goes down, down the steps and off it goes. And I said, Mummy, what the fuck? And she's like, she goes, no, no, she said, he's my friend. And I'm like, he's your friend? I said, geez, I don't want to know your bloody enemies if that's your friend, you know. And it was, anyway, this is a brown snake that lived in the wall and, and he just would come and go. But he knew he was safe to come into my mother's house to go into his little place. And so yeah, she had this this brown snake that lived in the wall. You know, I mean, this is my mother. Yeah. I mean, my fucks. Yeah, you can't not but love a woman like that. That's correct. And she had like little sugar gliders, and she had a little, you know, big powdered milk tin, and that sat on top of her cupboard in the kitchen. And so that little sugar glider would come at night and sort of like flit around, do all the sort of bits and pieces, yeah. You know? And then it would go back there in the daytime and just sleep, you know. And that was another one of my mother's like friends. It's like, <laughs> and they're eating the bugs, and the snakes are eating the rats. Yeah. And, and this go. snake, I mean, you'd be there later, and you get this 
and you'd sort of, and you'd see this like, and oh, I don't even want to look, you know. And then we'd just sort of be slid, and then he goes up and then back into his hole in the wall. But everyone in the family knew, okay, yeah, that's mum's, you know, don't don't touch it. I mean, brown snake living in your mother, but yeah, that was my mother. And I just sort of like, I just think, wow, how blessed I was to have a mother like that. Yeah. My God, you know. What would you take away from that mother? She's awesome. <laughs> oh, my God, she's incredible. You know, so anyway, I took away, you know, at three I was off. and you know, But those things, whatever she gave me, my God, it was amazing. It was really powerful because I came back and I still had them and I still sort of like have them and it's like, um, yeah. And, you know, I have no... You, you cannot sort of be angry about things. You cannot be angry. You cannot sort of like... Because things happen for reasons. They happen for a reason and they happen because you need to learn something and they, you know, sort of like... I, I just learnt so much. I was taught so much. I found out so much myself and, wow, you know, I don't have anything to be angry with in this world. And if someone said to me, can you describe your life in one word, I would say, lucky... I'm so lucky to have been wow. born who I am and to have experienced what I've experienced because that has made me who I am. That has given me access to... No, that hadn't, has given me connections to all these incredible human beings around me. You know, my family in Arnhem Land, my family in the Tibi Islands, um, my cousin. Wow, you know, for goodness sake. What a wonderful... So you, you, were, you were taken... I was at taken three. at the age of three. Yeah. When when did you go back to your family? I was 28 when I discovered. 28. And how that came about was I was looking for a book because I really, I really didn't like my white family because my white father molested me for 15 years and and the white mother used to beat me all the time and I think that she knew I was sort of like the other woman. There was something there because later on, much later on when I confronted her, she said, oh, I knew he was doing that, but I married him for better or for worse. So I think that, you know, she made those choices. But anyway, yeah, so, um, oh, I've forgotten my track now, where I was going. But yeah, uh, so I, yeah, I I was 28 and I went back and I found my family. It's like, and I found this book and it was the book of Ecclesiastes, for goodness sake, Ecclesiastes or whatever, you know, uh, the New Testament. It's like, what the hell is this? I never actually, you know, because whenever they went away, I'd go and I'd sort of look for a you know, book. I never went there when they were there because I still had a key to the house. And I was looking for this book one day. I thought, oh, I just want to... Because I was having an argument with a mate at work about something religious. And I said, oh, no, I don't think you're right. I was just going to go. So I thought, yeah, I'll go and check because they had, you know, bloody religious how they were, you know. So they had all this shit. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go and find it. So I'm looking and I thought, what's this? And I opened this book and in the pages is, you know, the little... Um, card index file book you know, yeah. card, yeah. one of those and there was this date of birth but there was not my name and it was not anything I knew but the date of birth and I immediately looked at it, I thought oh my god that is me because I would say to her where did I come from because I mean you know like you're this kind you're in a white family say oh we found you under a gooseberry bush yeah, so, yeah right okay you know um, Bloody stalks. Yeah. <laughs> and I just gave up in the end because I knew they weren't going to tell me. But I found this and it's like that date of birth. And I thought, oh, that's me. And so it said on their Daily River Mission. And so I wrote to the Daily River Mission and it said Minoroo. You know, so I found, you know, Minoroo Station. So I, I wrote a letter, care of Minoroo Station. And I said, um, this is me. And I don't know if anybody knows me, but maybe someone knows who my mum is. And 
I had thoughts that maybe um, the missions didn't exist anymore, you know, whatever. I don't realise how, you know, sort of lame and entrenched they are. But, um, and so two weeks later to the day, two weeks later to the day, a letter arrives. So lucky I'm sort of like on my couch with a glass of wine. I think, oh, this is open up. Oh, my fucking God. Sorry. <laughs> but there's this letter from Father Fallon from um, the Daly River Mission saying, oh, your mother is this person. And he mentioned that he'd stood up after Mass one day and said, oh, I've got this letter from this woman. And um, would anyone know her? And before even the words were out of his mouth, my godmother, Roseanne Parry, stands up and says, that's my goddaughter. Her mother is Judy Mankara, who lives on Bathurst Island. Wow. And that was it. Two weeks. Took me two weeks. Wow. Wow. And so I see this letter. I'm thinking, oh, God. You know, so anyway, I, um, I then write to Bathurst Island Mission to Brother Pie, you know, as you have to go through all the official channels, obviously, you know. And so I write to him and he says, oh, yes, your mother's here and you've got, you know, this and that, whatever, you've got these brothers and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh, this is nice. Well, I might pay a surprise visit then, you know, this is great. And so I, um, I jump on the plane and I head off to the Northern Territory. <laughs> and so I get to the Darwin Airport and it's like this shed, and it's nothing like I'd sort of like whatever expected an airport to be. And so I go and say to this man at this little Air North counter, oh, hello, I'm going to Bathurst Island. And he says, oh, no, you're not. I'm there. Oh, look, here's my ticket. And he goes, well, well, you're not here. And it's like, oh, shit, you know. Anyway, he mm-hmm. sorts it out. And then I'm sitting there waiting, you know, like a little bit disturbed. And um, and then a little bit bothered by this sort of like situation. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't know anything in Darwin. I don't know anything here. What my you know? And then he comes and says, "Oh, well, come on then." So he takes me out to the tarmac, and there's this plane that's not much bigger than my car sitting out there. He goes, <laughs> and I'm looking at him, thinking, "What?" And he says, "Oh, well, you're going to wait all day, or what?" You know, he's a rude fucker. I tell you. <laughs> so I'm there. Oh, well, so I get on there. I think, what the shit's going on here? So I get in there and um. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they're yakking and then they put my bag in the you know, wing and then they take off, the pilot takes off. And, I mean, he looked like he was no older than someone in high school for God. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, my life is in this person's hands. <laughs> so off we go, we take off and, you know, get buffeted around there because it was, um, what was it? It was September then, no, November then, and it was sort of like, um, yeah, a little bit. Weather was starting to sort of like be moving into the wet season then. Anyway, so we arrive, we're flying along, and I'm looking out there, like after all the thing, I sort of open my eyes, I'm like, oh, this isn't quite bad, you know. And then we get to the islands, I see them coming up. And you know what? This this vision came to me, not this vision, this memory came to me, because when I was three years old and I was being taken away, it was like I saw the same thing, but I was looking at another plane window. And I was going that way instead mm. to Darwin. And I, that, that memory just came straight back. and said, oh, my God, you know. So it was there. So we land. He dumps me out with a pile of boxes and flies away. And I'm thinking, oh, um, which, way, which way was that little... The houses that I saw, I was a little bit sort of worried. And I was sort of thinking, oh... And anyway... Um, I'm there with these boxes and then this I could hear a car coming so this car comes this ute comes and these two black men get out and I'd been warned about shifty black fellas by this this 
this mother, she'd warned me, oh, these shifty black ones, you know, don't trust. So I'm thinking, oh, and I'm thinking, oh, are they shifty? I think, oh, well, they're black, so they must be shifty, you know. Anyway, they come over and I, and, you know, so I said, do you know Judy Mankara, you know? And they're like, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, because I didn't think they'd be able to speak English. You know? So I'm like, yeah, of course we know Judy. You know, it's like, oh, all right. So they're putting these boxes in the back of the, and I'm saying, can you take me to a house? And they're, meh. And they're, Oh, okay, and I go to get in the front of the ute. They're like, no, no, you get in the back. Oh. So I had to get in the back with these boxes. And so, you know, that's all right. They're taking me to Judy Mankara's house, and off they drive. And flaming, I tell you, lucky I was hanging on because they hit every freaking bloody pothole. Bang, bump, you know, so I'm hanging on. Hair freaking like. <laughs> and I'm in this lovely white linen suit, mind you, you know, sort of like white linen suit, sitting in the back of this ute. I mean, like, I was red by the time I got to the other end, all this filthy dirt, you know, and my shoes were like, oh, my handbag, like, fuck. So anyway, I get down at the other end and they pull up this house and they said, oh, here you go. And I said, no, I was looking for Judy Mankara. And they said, no, this is her house. And I said, no, no, my mother would never live in a house like this. And they said, well, it was Judy's house. Said, oh, shit, so anyway, get out. Filthy by then. You know, that trip from the airport to that, I was just filthy. Mm-hmm. I get out with my bag and I look around and there's this little black woman walking down the steps and I'm watching her. They'd driven off, left me in a cloud of exhaust fumes, you know. And, I'm, you know, and she walks down, she comes, stands there and she says, hello. And I'm there looking at her. And I said, oh, and who are you? And she says to me, I'm your mother. She said, I'm your mother. She said, come inside and have a cup of tea. And I looked at her, and I just didn't know what to say. Like, I'm your mother. Come inside and have a cup of tea. And it was almost like I said, oh, I just wearing my cat this morning, you know. Okay, let's you know. And it was just like so blase. She said, I'm your mother. Come inside and have a cup of tea. Wow. <laughs> and so I thought, all right then. So... I go trotting up the steps with her and I walk into this door and there's not a, it's just bare, not a stick of furniture, nothing, nothing on the floor. And I'm sort of thinking, where do you sit? Where on earth do you sit? And so she sits down, so I sit sort of down uncomfortably. And she said, would you like a cup of tea? And I said, yes, please. So she goes off, she's rustling around in this other room over there making a cup of tea. And I think, oh, shoot, you know. My God, you know, what's happened here? And I'm looking at that sort of like front, because the front was like this, you know, just all the screen, you know, there's no no privacy. So I'm sitting there looking at there, and she comes back, and she's got this big pannikin like there. Like, it was like a bucket, and she's got this corned beef tin, and she gives me the pannikin. I didn't realise later that was her cup. She'd given me her cup, and she's got this corned beef tin that she's drinking her cup of tea. And I'm looking at her thinking... She's a woman mad or what, you know? She's drinking that corned beef, you know? Must be crazy. I, I, I'm watching that door in case I had to you know, run in case she was mad or she might, you know, attack me or something. But, nah, she was... You know, it was just like this whole learning. And then she knew I was uncomfortable. She said, do you want to sit outside? And I said, yes, please, because I just didn't know, you know? So we go out the back, down the steps... And there's these trees outside and there's sand. They put sand. They thought, oh, that's all right. So I'm sitting there. And we're drinking our tea. And I'm drinking out of this bucket trying to think, where's the cleanest spot to sort of drink out of? Who's, who's been drinking out of this? And, you know, and all the hands that might have been holding on that hand. Like this. I felt really like, 
And thank you, you know, that other mother for instilling this horrible. Mm. But anyway, so I'm sitting there and she says, do you want something? To eat? I said, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like, because plain food, you know. So she goes inside, she's rustling around, and then all the bloody camp dogs come up, you know, her dogs. Mm. And I, oh, you know, I'm trying to get rid of these bloody dogs. How horrible that! But they, they didn't. You know, they're just all curious. Anyway, so they were having a bit of a sniff around. I'm sitting there like shit, you know. And then she comes trotting outside, and I'm looking at this dog. She goes, "Oh, yeah. I look up, and she's got this freaking bloody wallaby arm, with this little arm of a wallaby, like the skin still, the fur still on it, and it's all caught. I mean, it's all caught. And there's a little claw, yeah. And I go, go. And that was it. It's like, oh no. And I just looked at that thing and I looked at her and I looked back at that thing and was, my stomach just came and I just rushed for these bushes that were over the other side of the there on my hands and knees just like heaving what what it little I had in my stomach from that horrible plain food. And I'm there on my hands and knees just throwing up like and then dry reaching because there was nothing left to throw up. And and my eyes are just watering. And and it's, it smelled like freaking rotten cabbage and, that, like, and then I was just bringing up more. It's like, oh my god, it was this horrible stench. And then I sort of like look up and down the road, down the road is coming I see these three old men, these three beautiful old men, and the one in the middle, the tall one, I look at him and I immediately knew who he was. This is my grandfather. Wow. I just looked at him and and he, our eyes is connected. And I looked at this man and I thought, oh. And there I am on my hands and knees, like, look, like, I'm there, oh, and I'm there. <laughs> and so anyway, he comes up and I'm looking at these feet that come up and st- stand there. I'm looking at these really sort of like, really worn feet, you know. They're really hard, you know, they're really worn. And I'm looking at his feet and he bends down and he says to me, he said, you grew so beautiful. And I just started to cry. I just cried and cried. I just couldn't stop crying. And I knew what he was saying, Nintamalinga, my granddaughter. Nintamalinga, he said, you grew so beautiful. And I just cried and cried and cried. And then I'm sort of like, then I vomited a bit more. I'm crying. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, oh, oh, look out. And he just put his arm around me. And I went, oh. And I was just bawling. And I just couldn't stop it. And I looked up. And there's mummy over there. She's doing, the, you know, this bloody hands of shit to some woman next door that, who turns out to be, I call her my mother, you know, this kinship mother next door, Lorraine. And she's, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I'm there, oh. And so totally, 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 absolutely, utterly ashamed of myself. It's just like making such a spectacle of myself. They're vomiting. <laughs> and this man, you know, and then I'm crying. And then we go over and sit next to her. And I'm saying... I just want to find my mother. He says, she's your mother. And I couldn't believe it. I just do not, because I thought my mother would be an older version of myself. I just didn't think. But there's this little black woman. Yeah, a little, like, feisty-looking one, too. too. And she, like, uh, and then I'm just like, oh, God. Uh, so that was my um, homecoming. And what a good thing, too. What a bloody good thing. It was wonderful. I would <laughs> never change a the rest thing. Of your life I would never change a thing. Mm. Never. That's amazing. That's beautiful. You talked about walking through the mangroves. You um you found an interesting mangrove route when you were digging oh, for mud crabs. God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I'd always avoided that because my mother would say, "Oh, we're going hunting," and she'd always come back filthy. And I'd think, "Oh, I'm not doing that," you know. <laughs> and so, only one day, such a city girl. Oh yeah. <laughs> so one day, Auntie Murray Evelyn she comes over, and um she goes. Come on, here we go. Here. And my mother said, Oh, all right then. And so they all get dressed up in their little daggy you know, mangrove stuff. And I thought, I'm going to go. 
because I'd only learned that she'd had leprosy in one of her legs. And I thought, oh, aren't I terrible making her sort of like walk? Because I'd be there and she goes, do you want anything at the shop? And I'd say, oh, yeah, get there. And so she'd go. And so there she's, I didn't realise that one of her legs, she had leprosy in one of her legs. I didn't know that. And so I'm there, oh, yeah, you know, sort of just lay back there, read my book and sort of like, you know. So she's swanning around. So she'd go off and get. And anyway, so I'd only just learned the day before that she had leprosy. One of her legs was, you know, in her. And so I was feeling a little bit guilty. And so when Auntie Murray Evelyn comes over and says, oh, well, you know, let's go. Come on, Judy, we go. And I said, I'll come, you know, thinking I'll be, you know, I'm going to be a little Miss Tough one here now. I'm going to, I'll come and I'll do all the hard work, you know. And we get there. And so there's this little special spot where um, we'll walk down through and then we'd sit and there was this custard apple tree. Ancient one. Must have been there forever and ever anyway. Because there it was. And so you have the, like the, the bush then you've got a bit of strip of sand and right there with that strip of sand is this custard apple tree and then you've got the mangroves so we're sitting there and Arnie she was incredible I'd never seen anything like it like she'd, she'd spit she could spit from here like bring away everything you know <laughs> you know or she'd sort of snort and she'd sort of you know, I was just like whoa I could never believe that and like my mother she'd yawn she'd like yawn with the mouth wide open and stuff like that and be like Oh my God, the freedom to do that, you know, hell. You'd get smacked for that, I hope. Yeah, I know, you get flogged, you know, you're like thrown in the cupboard or something. So anyway, <laughs> so off we go. We um, we head off into the mangroves and I was just thinking this would be right, but no, the moment you sort of like walk across that strip of sand and you get into the mangroves, bloody sand flies and mosquitoes, it's like, oh, right, okay. And I was just like in a pair of shorts and just a shirt, they're all covered up, mind you. No one said anything. No, no, no. Let Marie find out for herself. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm trying. Like, ah, oh, you know. So um, off we go, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And I was getting grumpier and grumpier and grumpier. And um, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to do something really amazing here. And so I'm slopping through this mud, like it's up to your thigh sometimes. Anyway, so I pull my foot out and thinking, oh my god, look at that. And I thought it was the root of a tree. I thought, wow, look at that. And it had scales on it. I thought, yeah, that would make sense because these are the mangroves. And so they would have scales, you know, yeah, like fish with scales. So yeah, there'd be scales. And I thought, yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Look at this. Wow, look at that. That's so beautiful. And so I call my mum. I said, look, look at this beautiful. And she comes over and she goes, you get over there. You go there. And I'd never seen her so like, she goes, you go there. And so I'm like, oh. And it was this um, one of those coral snakes, you know. Oh, no. It was a coral snake, yeah. This beautiful red, black, and white. And like, oh, that's so pretty. Like, oh, you get over there, she said. <laughs> and so anyway, we go over there and we sort of like keep going. And I'm sort of like thinking, I just really don't like this anymore, you know. <laughs> and then we get to this point and then they pull out the bloody machetes. And I'm thinking, oh. And then they start hacking into these trees. And they're pulling out these freaking ugly worms, you know, these things. And there's like scraping. They've got... You know, just squeeze all the mud out. They're just eating stuff, and they look like intestines. Yeah. They were like really gross. You know, they they, they call Yuli, called Yuli, but you know the the mangrove worms. And they're like, yeah, here, have one. And I say, no, 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 ooh, no. And my mother's saying, you ate them when you were little. No different now. You know, you eat it now. And they're no, <laughs> not eating that. So fight, fight, fight. You know, we're always fighting. Did you try many of the bush foods? I did, but I couldn't eat mangrove worm. I couldn't eat wallaby because they had such lovely eyes. Um, I couldn't eat possum. I couldn't eat snake. Um, Why well, couldn't you eat snake? Because it's a snake. No, just you got because... got snake and questioned it. <laughs> no, <laughs> and you linger, you know, you linger, that's the, the, um, the carpet snake, but I couldn't eat it because I just like... 
poor little thing just trying to live its own little life, you know. And I thought, they're saying, how do you think we live? You know, we got to eat this stuff. And I'm saying, oh, well, I, I just, well, you have vegetables. You know, and they're like, you know, like, yeah, we got some yams, but that's not going to be Fiji, you know. <laughs> we got some bread from the shop. And it was like, oh, but I just couldn't bring myself to eat those things, you know. What about the mud crab? I didn't mind that. Yeah. yeah, that was all right. I mean, but I didn't, I couldn't, I had to go away. I, you know, they could catch it, but I, when I came back and it was sort of like already prepared, then I could eat it. I couldn't sort of hear that noise it makes when it just gets chucked on the, you know, and that makes that squeaky noise. And then, you know, that, yeah, you know, that I heard it once. I was like, oh, you know, I just cried. Oh, and the bloody turtles. Oh, my God. Yeah, the I was going to ask about the turtles. Oh, my God, the turtles. <laughs> the big green turtles, you know, when they come up on the beach. So out at, at um, Yorlinga. Or Tangiao, which is our country at that southwest um, of um, Bathurst Island, that's where they come up. Turtles come up, lay their eggs. So we're right, right time for that. And they're, oh my God! Yeah, this is so exciting. All these turtles coming out. So they're coming up, and then there were a few that three of them that came up near each other. And they were dug holes and they're laying their eggs and that. So we all sit. They say, "Be quiet, something." So watching, all quiet, and then. They cover that nest over, you know, and then they start walking back. And then my brothers walk down, they turn one over. I'm there. And then they go, there, turn it over. It's like, what? And I just got hysterical. And they're, what, the, what the fuck are they doing, you know? And I'm getting, and my mother looks at oh, you know, she could see another hysterical <laughs> burst coming out. And she's just like, oh my gosh, she just looks away, you know. And I was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. These poor things, you know. And I was screaming and carrying on like a freaking idiot. And I'm over there. I'm trying to turn the turtles back. And they're getting really distressed because they've been turned over. They're like flapping around. And I'm there trying to And they're flapping around even harder because, like, you know, they don't know what's going on. And I couldn't because I was so heavy and so big. And I'm trying to tip them over. And I was just making it worse. And then my grandfather calls out and says to them in language, says, no, go. So that my brothers came and turned them back. And then they walked off, and everyone glaring at me too, like that was our food. They were looking at me filthy. Looks like we were going to eat that. We were going to eat that. And I'm sitting there like, well, I didn't know what. To do. I just felt really <laughs> awful. I just couldn't think of that. And they sort of get out to that, and they whew, they were off. The poor buggers they were off. And so I'm sitting there with my grandfather, and it's like, and he just took my hand, and you're holding holding my hand, and I just felt really like like a fish out of water. I just felt really like, yeah, like really awful. And I said, I just want to go home. And he goes, That's okay. That's all right. You can go home. So, you know, I endured the filthy looks, the filthy looks from everyone because their turtle, you know, was their dinner. So all they did was like, We're just drinking tea now, you know, so like just rubbing it in. We just got tea to drink now, you know. I'm there. Oh, well, is it the one hurt you, will it? And they look away and I'm like, Yeah. So anyway, I just sort of laid there and I didn't sleep that night. And then the next morning, you know, that sun just coming out. My grandfather said, well, come on then. So I jump in that, in the ute and off we go. And um, we go back. And I, I had a few bits back at my mother's place. So I just put them in my bag, you know. And um, and then then he says, well, we better check now that, that you've got a seat. And I'm there, oh, what? You know, because I tell you, if I hadn't had a seat on that bloody pole, I would have just swum back from Bathurst <laughs> to Darwin. I was like, I would have swum, you know. So he goes, oh, no, it's all right, we've got a seat. So he takes me to the airport. Okay. And he just drives through, and then he just drives off. It's like, well, you know, no tears, nothing, you know. He just drove off. So, well, that's all right. I love them anyway. I'll come back, you know, I'll come back. And so I get on that plane and, you know, I head back. And what was really... 
what really was the deciding thing that made me go back. Well, not the deciding thing, one thing that was like really shocked me. So there I am, you know, wait, that plane comes, I jump on that plane. And I'm sitting there. I'm on, I was on, I remember I was on the, here, right next to the window, looking out, and this woman is sitting next to me. And so the plane takes off and she says to me, Oh, so, so you've been visiting family? I said, Well, sort of, but you know. I was sort of like so full of like so you know, you know so I just purged my, I just said yes and it's been really awful I went over to Bathurst Island she goes Bathurst Island she goes really and I said yeah she goes my son-in-law she said my son-in-law way back in the early 60s he used to fly the planes that brought the kids across from the islands to Darwin and then they were you know sent on to families and my stomach just went and I looked at her and I said there was this pilot on the plane that I was on and he had this blonde hair and he had this beard and when the nun said that you're going to meet your new mum and dad I thought he was going to be my dad and I went up to him and I hugged him mm-hmm. and he gave me the biggest hug and then I was taken back to my seat and I said but he looked like this and she said yeah she said that sounds like my son-in-law and I said oh really and I said, oh, another gin and tonic, please. Because <laughs> I was serving gin and tonics in those days on the planes. Um, and I got another drink. And I sort of sat there and I said, you know what? And she goes, yeah. And I said, who? Oh. And I said, he, your son-in-law. I said, what did he do after that? And she said, well, it really disturbed him so much that he just didn't do it anymore after that. He said, but he told me the story of how this little girl came up to him and threw her arms around him and said, you're my dad my new daddy and he said no I'm not and that was us it was like fuck and so I got back to Melbourne and I thought there's no fucking way I can stay here I cannot do this and so I got on I resigned from my job packed everything up and I went back and so that's where it all came after that but this encounter with this woman who I know I'll never meet again but that chance encounter with her sitting next to me and talking about her son-in-law, and I was, I knew, we just knew that was that same son-in-law, that same man who I thought was going to be my dad. Um, yeah. Shit. <laughs> that's <laughs> so that's like, incredible. That's synchronicity. It is. So much wildlife around here at the moment. <laughs> there huge, is. Uh, moths landing on the table. Uh, yeah. That's a stunning moth. That is a stunning moth. It's... Um, it's a beautiful, humid environment, and you get brown tree snakes, green tree snakes, Darwin carpet pythons. The moth flew away just as Steve <laughs> got, got his got camera out. We um, have <laughs> day moths here. You know the day moths? I've heard about them. They are astounding. Well, they are, they breed here, right here in this garden. They breed here, and they cannot breed in anything lower than that's um, smaller than twenty meters high. They breed way up. Um, and they flit around here all the time and they look like stained glass. Have you ever seen them? No. They look like stained glass. They are beautiful. It's a pity you don't have a few days here to sit and watch the butterflies and the wildlife that sort of passes through. But they look like stained glass windows. Incredible. And there was a moth that landed on that window there not that long ago and it was orange and you see the blue on that? Yeah. That Mm -hmm. blue. It had blue and bits of orange. I've got a photo of it in my phone, but beautiful just there sitting on my window um what an amazing place isn't it it's beautiful it's stunning so we've got dingoes in your back garden basically yeah oh yeah they they, they run (laughs) through the bottom there yeah 
<clears throat> do you get the northern bandicoots here? They do come through, but I haven't seen them. And we also have the little sugar gliders here, and they run up this tree here. And I sit there occasionally and say, hello. They, and they stop and look at me. Like, mm. And then they run up and then they sort of glide off. But yeah, So we've got the sugar gliders. Wow. Yeah, but they're, they're tiny, the northern ones. Yeah. And they're little friendly little fuckers too. They're right there. They're like, yeah, hello, there she is again. And then off they go. Did you just explain them as friendly little fuckers? <laughs> I did. Oh, no, well, they're not. No, they're just friendly little folk. Yeah, they're lovely. And also there's a lot of um, the scrub flowers they come through. And I had one called Gertie, but... The cyclone last year blew her tree down, but she used to go and sleep in the tree just outside my bedroom window. They sleep up in trees, do they? Yeah, yeah, they, they go, get up in the trees. And the so orange she, footed, orange footed yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah they, nice. they, they fly up in the trees and they yeah. sleep up there at night. And so they, she just came up there every night, but then the cyclone came and blew her tree over. <laughs> so she's um, she's grown up now. She's off and she's probably looking for a mate now, but she's only a little little young one. Um, They're an amazing bird. I love those birds. Yeah. We get mallee fowls down near us. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, they taste good, apparently. I haven't eaten one, but my mother has eaten them, and she says they're good, good food. They're like chicken. There you go. Yeah, yeah. good food. So, but so, yeah, I wouldn't. So you, so you reconnected in yeah. a spiritual way, in a family well, way, in a, yeah, in a loving way eventually, yeah. but then also in an academic way. Mm. Well, I have, because I did my master's. Um, I thought, I'm sick to death. Like, the mission, okay, the mission arrived in 1911, you know, and they sort of, like, think that they're saving us. Well, I just got really annoyed about the um, the hold they have, you know, sort of, like, over the space that we once occupied or my family from there once occupied. And so I thought, I'm going to do my master's on what happened before the Murantawi came. So I followed... Um, a genetic history all the way back to Southeast Asia, so I you know, even have the genetic, the DNA sort of like connections and all that sort of stuff. And it was an amazing journey, but also within that, I also saw the landscape. Um, a lot of scientists helped me there. They were, it was just beautiful. They, you know, they, they were just so lovely and open and wanting to help, you know, but I saw the landscape as it looked back then, you know, when the seas were at different levels and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, way over there was Lake Bonaparte, you know, and way over there was Lake Carpentaria. And, you know, Lake Carpentaria, there was this reel that sort of like ran down through between the Tibia Islands and New Guinea. You know how there was this land bridge. But that land bridge, now, you know, we might think, oh, hang on, that's all right. You know, we were connected, but we were not connected because that, that um, it was all swampland through there. And so when I looked at different sort of like scientific sort of like papers and stuff, uh, like geologists, you know, um, botanists and all that sort of stuff, I actually could see that there was actually never a walkable land bridge because it was actually very sort of like um, shallow in parts, very, very shallow. And so the taxonomy, I discovered the taxonomy of Papua New Guinea never made it to Australia. And our people never crossed that part. You got to... Um, that point in Southeast Asia where you either went across to Timor and then into that top end or you went up around Papua New Guinea. And so the top end people are the ones that sort of like where my family come from and we went, um, so we populated the the top of the Arnhem Land and a little bit of the Kimberleys and all the other people, they went through and they went up right up through the highlands of Papua New Guinea, down, down through Queensland, down through New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, and then across South Australia and then sort of like Western Australia then back up sort of towards the Kimberleys. But that whole top end region was something that was like 
that was the first thing and that so anyway within this research I discovered I thought all right then I'm going to look at the currents to see you know how people came across you know did we come across how and um so from that I worked out that it would have taken after sort of getting stuff from the um Indonesian maritime authorities you know the currents and how they move and there's a certain part of the year where they do this and they swift you know swiftly then they do this and um so I worked out that if you made it to Timor and when the seas were at the highest level, it was only 155 kilometres between Australian mainland and Timor. So you've got these bits. Instead of 450 now, it was 155. So it's at the lowest. That's when so the, the seas were at the highest. So oh. when the seas were... Oh, oh, sorry, at the lowest, sorry, around yeah. the land. Yeah. So when would that have been during an ice age, when the poles freeze more? Uh, this um, would have been, well, what, 19,000 years ago, okay? So that's when it all was like... The, yeah, the driest. What's that? The, the younger driest was 12,000 years ago. What do they call the one before that? The older driest. Older driest, yep. yeah. And so you've got Timor and you've got... So, but this happened well before that as well, because there were other points where... I spoke to this man called Elko Rowling, and he is the um, world um, sea level expert, um, and he is works with ANU and Southampton University in England. And so anyway, I thought, I looked him up, and I was sort of checking him out. I thought, oh, this is the man I need to speak to. So what do I do? I sort of like, um, I find a mobile number there. I thought, oh, so I rang it. You know, <laughs> he, ra- he answered. <laughs> he picked it up. I sort of rang so I said, he goes, oh, hello. I said, oh, hello. I said, is this... Oh, okay, yeah, he's trying to be your old cool. Okay. He goes, yeah. And I said, oh, goodness. I said, really? Is that you? <laughs> he goes, yes. I said, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to gush. I said, but I'm actually a student and I'm just, um, I need to get some information about sea level. And he goes, oh, really? You know, yeah, cause <laughs> that's he, that's, that's the one his, thing I know about. <laughs> yeah, no, he's all excited. Oh, yeah. I said, well, because I'm just doing this right around. I don't want to work out about TV Islands and, you know, Northern Australia. He goes, well, he said, I'll give you, a, a, you know, one of my links. He says, you go in here. He said, and then I'll give you this if, 492,000 years of sea level. Whoa. I was like, oh my God. I looked at it, I just nearly died. It was so beautiful. It was so bloody beautiful. So I'm looking at So I made graphs and all that sort of stuff. So and I sat in the back and said, hey, look, here it is in graph. I was like, oh, thank you. Half so, a million years of sea yeah, level. Yes. And so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, so we could have come across then, you know, then, then, then. And we could have come across anyway, but these were the times that were the optimal times. So anyway, so that's what I was looking at. And so when you look at it when it was the closest point, which like the recent closest point was 155 kilometres between Timor and Northern Australia. And you know what? If you're five foot seven inches, which is what um, Java Man was, and he was Homo erectus, he wasn't Homo sapiens, Homo erectus. But if you were Java Man and you were five foot seven inches, which he was, and you're standing on that beach in Timor and you're looking straight across there, if there was a, a bushfire on the Australian continent, you would have seen that smoke rising up. There was that smoke. That's how close it is because when, if you look at, because I worked out when the horizon is, okay, I thought, oh, my God, there's got to be something here. So, anyway, there you are, you stand there. And when you look at the um, where the horizon is on the ocean, it's seven point something kilometres away. That's where the point is, where the edge of the horizon is. But even though that was 155 kilometres, so if that's seven point whatever, you know, kilometres away, and if, if that smoke rises so high, then... You know, if it rises more than a kilometre into the sky, which it does, um, you would see smoke. So if you're standing over here in this water and then you see smoke, what do you think? Land. We can go there. There's land. So what do you think? Yeah, you know what? Let's go and check it out. 
they would have gone on their boats, checked it out because they already had the skills to, you know, navig- navigation, seafaring skills. They already had them. They'd already worked that. People think bloody, you know, ancient people are dumb. No way. They had that worked out. So they jumped in their boats. They came over, checked it out. And that, yeah, this is all right. So they came back. Then they got families and then took them over. And when you look at um, the, the genetics of my family through Western Arnhem Land all the way down through to um, Wadair, Port Keats, and yeah, yeah, that way all the way through, we all have the same fingerprint patterning and we all have the same DNA and we came from one family. They've worked out that we came from one single family that came across one family wow. and we have populated all this so how long does that take is that 60 70 80, 80 84,000 years ago was another perfect time to come across when it was close 84,000 years um but 120 before that you know there's all these times but we have the same fingerprint patterning we have that same dna for that and it could have been one like family where that brother bought his family there and that brother bought this family you know but we all come from one single family from that cm130 Hapla group dna from Southeast Asia, and that CM is the ancient CM130, and that one is found. You will not believe this, but this one is found in the Sami people in Finland. And what? yes, that CM130. This is ancient Southeast Finland. Asia, Finland, and and Latvia. And you know why? Because when that seas rose, and people sort of had to sort of then move out again. You know, it could have been slavery. It could have been trade. They followed those rivers. If you in the Mediterranean, you can follow those rivers all the way up to the Baltic Sea. You can just be on water all the way until you hit that Baltic Sea. And so these people trade, whatever. But there is that CM130 Hapla group that we have and that the people, the Sami people have from Finland and Latvia, they have that in their genes as well. And these are the people that once that came before the Indonesians, the Southeast Asians are there now. These ones are the newcomers. They've been there for 9,000 years. Our mob were there before that. Excuse my ignorance, are the Sami people still around? Oh, yeah. They're still around. They're still there. And they're the, they were the reindeer hunters. They're the reindeer herders. You know, the original reindeer people. And you see them, you know, they've got that Asian sort of like looking face, some of them, you know, but they were the ones who that came from that area, went that way. And I don't even know yet whether linguists have sort of managed to trace that, but genetics have traced that. So obviously if genetics is there, the language has got to follow that. The language must be... And the the furthest that I've gotten within the language is that it's got to the Malay Peninsula, and from there it started to move, but that's as far as the linguists got with the language. But when you look at the genes of people... And so when I saw that, I thought... I've got to do a DNA test. I really have to do it. And you know what? Yep, there it is. Sami. Yeah, not Sami, but it says I have um, I have DNA that comes from Finland and Latvia. And it's like, wow, how could this be? So anyway, um, oh, look. We call those Christmas beetles, but he's a bit late, isn't he? Oh, it's Christmas every day. It's <laughs> if one shows up, it's Christmas. We just had a beetle climb on our equipment. But so isn't that just astounding? So that, that came this way, that came that way up into the north. Um, and hell, isn't it? And, and so the, they speak of the Sumerians that went into, you know, the, the um, 
Middle East, you know, they say, oh, we had this 5,000 years ago. Mesopotamia. They speak of the Sumerians that came. They came from the east and they're people who had seafaring knowledge. And it's actually being spoken that maybe these were the ones, you know, like these Indonesian people now. Because when, you know, Noah's flood came through, seas came up, you know, after the Laurentide, you know, ice caps sort of like melted and the seas just shot up, you know. And these people went that way and they carried that knowledge and this is what they believe, what some scientists are believing, that, you know, they came from Southeast Asia. The Sumerians actually have Southeast Asia because their language was different. And um, it's astounding, isn't it? So well, anyway, that sort of comes into my my connection here through the top end here. You know, um, and to think that I now, sitting here, my mother was a full-blood traditional woman and... I'm. I still have that connection, and I have this complete and utter, like, amazing connection with this, this whole, this that land. You know, we're starting. Oh my God! You know? And so this is what brought me to do my PhD. You know, so my PhD now. I'm looking at the mermaid because where I come from. The mermaid. The mermaid. Wow. Well, because when my mother first felt You're movement... you blow my mind now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the mermaid. Oh, no, this is interesting. She's getting real. <laughs> so when my mother first felt movement in her womb, she was standing at a place in West Arnhem where it's the place of the mermaid, the Yalkyalk. We call them Yalkyalk. Yalkyalk. So there's different names, but the Yalkyalk end up for us. And so, that's, so when I was born, that's naturally my dreaming. I'm a mermaid, you know. And so... Um, there's so many places I go, but that's our creator being. So creator being. So there's two sisters, right? There's Likaniah and there's Mareka. Likaniah is the older sister, and they're creator beings, and they have these dilly bags, and they sort of like, you know, create the land, the people, the plants. And Mareka, sort of like this, the younger sister, she does all that sort of like the frivolous stuff, you know. Well, not frivolous. She does all the other, other things like the beautiful sunsets and those sorts of things. You know, the things that you still need. To make the world what it is. So I was named for that one, Mareka, for that second one. That was my birth name. My grandmother delivered me. My two grandmothers delivered me. And so um, my grandmother named me Mareka. But only after, like, I was born and I came out this colour. I wasn't black. And they're like, ooh, you know, wrong colour. Because with babies from where I was born at that time, wrong colour, give them back to the crocodiles. Just give them to crocodiles because... No, no, because at least you would be born and you would die in your country that you came from. Because who knows where you'd go? You know, no, I totally, it's fine. Sorry, I probably got a massive shock to look on my face. <laughs> you did. But no, you, I was born in that country and I had a right to die in that country because who knows what would have, you know, like all those kids that were taken, they knew that these kids, anything could happen. And my grandmother, Nellie, um, she was holding me and she said, you sit in there, she said, I'm looking at you. She said, are you looking at me? She, you didn't make a sound. And I thought, first time in my life I didn't open my mouth at the wrong time. But anyway, so I'm just laying there looking at you. And she said, no, she said, I looked at you and you're looking at me. And she said, oh, no, this one's special. We're going to keep her. She's going to come back. Hmm. And that's what she said to Nana Clara, who, you know, Nana Clara and Nana Nelly were delivering me. And my mother's there like, well, whatever, you know. And, um. So, yeah, so they said, no, no, no. They said, no, no, we keep this one. She's special. She's going to come back. And I did. I absolutely did. I came back. and um, Quite literally, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, 
And then the day that I went and sort of saw my nana there in Arnhem, and she goes, oh, yeah, I was just talking about you. I mean, I hadn't seen her for like since I was born, you know. Yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah, I was talking about you. I'm just talking about this one now. I'm talking about you, yeah. Knew you'd be coming back home soon. It's like, how does this magic happen? It's so beautiful, you know. But anyway, so they knew I'd come back. So I'm doing my PhD in honour of my ancestors, you know, of my ancestors, the ones who, and my nana, who knew I'd come back. So I'm looking at, you know, okay, we have this, I'm looking at it from West Arnhem eyes. I'm like, okay, this is where I was born and this is what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about ceremony or that sort of stuff. But also then it goes across, only across the top end of Australia, you know. And you know what that fits, you know, how I was saying um, that one family, hey, where's that mermaid thing? It only fits within that one. And it only fits in the non-Parma Nyungan language structure, which is the prefixing language. Because the rest of Australia's prefixing across the top end it's I mean, non-prefixing across the top end we're prefixing and so that mermaid you've got the prefixing language and you've got um, my family and we just rock this top end here and we're the oldest we're the first ones that arrived here and they know that genetically they know that we were the first actually that arrived and the ones that sort of were in the other they came around by Papua New Guinea and so it's not astounding but where? Why? Why the mermaid? And so, if we've got that story here, why is it all around the rest of the world? And so, that's part of my study as well. I need to see. I, w- I want to. I want to ask how, where, why? How did this end up around the world? Did we give it to them? Did someone bring it to us? Is it you know like an archetype? Is it um, is it something that you know when those seas rose, you know Noah's flood, you know and all that sort of massive sort of. Did people carry that around, you know, when they fled to higher ground and safer places? Did they take that story and then that moved on from there? This is what I'm investigating in my PhD. I just want to say I love the um, the combination of science oh, and traditional stories being... like, And even when I say traditional stories, including the Bible, you know. Yeah. Like I'm not, we're not religious. We're, we're no. saying there was flood, no. but there was legitimately a flood. There was a out. flood. It's not woo-woo. It's a, it's it's a, flood there was happened. a flood. We're not sure how much Noah had to do. <laughs> well, things, but there was I've a flood. Ju- Absolutely. I had the good fortune while I was in Melbourne to like scour the bookshop. So anyhow, I found some really interesting books about Gilgamesh and the flood, you know, because that's the... The epic of Gilgamesh. Yes, and that is actually, stars. he was considered to be the, the Noah. The Noah, yeah. But anyway, and then the Bible got the Noah story. But anyway, they all, and the archaeology that's happened and they sort of like have gone down and they've sort of like, you know, excavated and they've seen sort of like places in the Black Sea where that was there once and now it's there, you know, because the seas have receded and all that. So this story of Noah's flood, but scientifically, oh my God, scientifically. So I've been looking at the scientific side of things and the Laurentide ice cap, when it melted 8,000 years ago, right? So there we are up there and... um you know, uh, that part of North America, right? You know, Alaska, up that's anyway. So, you know, with the Laurentide or with the Lawrence River, but the Laurentide um, Strait is no, okay. No, anyway, no, no, no. so that's up where Alaska is. But once that was like this big, massive ice, and there were two paleo lakes there called Lake Agassiz and Lake something else, can't remember. Anyway, these two lakes they started to thaw like about 15,000 ago, they just started to like, and so little rills started to develop under the ice, you know, these little sort of like freshwater rills and they were just like working their way out. A little bit, little bit, 
getting bigger, bigger, bigger as the years went by. And so then one day, you've got this great big massive, and it was sort of like you've got the Lawrence Strait, and it was like a plug, because it was plugged up with all this ice and this. And then one day, just like that, they came out and then they loosened that plug, and then it just suddenly gave way in this massive. And when that went bang like that, because it's like, you know, cubic kilometres of water that just went out within a matter of like three weeks, they, the, the scientists say. And so this just went, um, this thing just went suddenly bang, shot out, and all the water that was under, just, and this ice cap just shot off. Um, water just went pouring out into what was the sea, all this fresh water, and the crustal rebound like weeks, a few weeks later, because it was all bent like this because you've got the ice that was there and it went boing, you know, bounced up. And so the seas just went shot up like immediately, like 30 centimetres. You can imagine what that difference, I mean, you know, on those low lying, 30 mm. centimetres of just straight. That's gone. Yeah, yeah, that's what, boing, bounced up. So that shot up and plus all the water that was melting within those three week, that three week period, apparently it was like this massive three week period. And so it was this huge, suddenly the, the seizure shot up. And when you speak to people um, like now, because it's all like living memory from my family along the Tibi Islands and all the islands, all the way down through the Carpentaria, and they speak of when families were just coming out of the sea. That water just rushed up. And you see people like around um, Goulburn Island, because there's two two islands um, that one is sunk, one's about 10 metres down below. And it country not tell you. Like, no, there's the one there, rah, 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 and this is where it is, and that's where it was. And we used to know that, and we called that this. But this water just suddenly went, woof, and just suddenly covered that. And people were just drowning. People were just fleeing. There weren't enough. You, know, you couldn't... People were just drowning and dying. And these stories are, like, right across the top end here still. And when, in my master's, when I was working out, when the, like from Elko, when the sea level, um, that was 7,100 and something years ago. And exactly to the year, you can work it out when that happened. Wow. Just, and these people just suddenly there, and suddenly they all went whoosh, and they had all this. Um, between here and the Tibi Islands, you get about 20 metres. Um, along some of those, like, Gold and Elko, like some of those like 10, 5 metres, and just suddenly that water came up and people just like living there in their camps and stuff and that water and they were just drowning it's like the story of atlantis yeah that's what so was some happening. of those exactly. islands are still there elko island no elko is still there but there's still two there. islands yeah. off elko that were yeah. they were once one big island and but then gradually um it so they became separated but then suddenly that water came up and then they, those other two are gone and they were like people were living there and they they were just drowning people were drowning and these stories these horror stories coming through of like how people just were just families you know were just trying to you know they, they were just drowning and these are regular events on earth and i think they are. people forget that because history's only been around for a, this so many thousand years this is only seven thousand years old six seven thousand years old that's it how sounds it sounds huge yeah but in the grand scheme of things it's absolutely people nothing. forget you know like you know people say oh my god that you know 2000 tsunami no there's still memories from those Indonesian people from when the last one came through, and that was the one that was that big flood and one now. Yeah, they still carry those memories, and they still talk to you about that. You know, white people. I'm, you know, sorry, but you know, white people. They just seem like there's no connection with the past, and they don't think we have a connection with the past. And and I really get annoyed when they say, "Oh, that's just the dream time." I mean, excuse me. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about 
cataclysmic events, you know, where people were, you know, like dying. You know, where seas would just suddenly go, you know, just suddenly overnight, within a week, you know, what was there is no longer, it's under 10 metres of water, you know. This, this happened so quickly. And that was because of that Laurentide ice cap that melted. And then there was another one that was the um, the Finnick, you know, the one that, over Finland, all that. So there was another one. And that happened at, at around, not the same time, but in sort of that same period of time. And then that, boof, the seas just came up. And a lot of these things are triggered by meteorites crashing into Earth. Yeah, yeah. And that's just a constant thing. Just yeah. Look, those things, you know what, If when that ice, um, when the water started coming up, it, I don't know, because of tides and things like that, they, they don't suddenly just, boom, there it is. It, it moves in different sort of space. And plus also, like, um, there are dips and there are highs, you know, within the, the, the oceans. Like, off Papua New Guinea, um, there's this little place where there's, there's a, um, a point where it's high. So it's about 80 metres or something like that. And there's other points where it goes really low. So it's not like flat. The sea isn't flat. It follows these different contours for some reason. Maybe magnetic stuff, I don't know. Mm. And so you've got that to deal with. And there's when this, um, the, like the, the Noah flood sort of like came through, there is this um, tsunami, this records of, you know, you can read it in the landscape, of 100 metre high tsunamis that came through and hit that northern part of Papua New Guinea smash through there and well that's what triggers tsunamis isn't it when um, there's like an earthquake like earthquake yeah faulting earthquake yeah you know, when continental the, when, when, when continental rifts like join together well when the yeah, when the plates, plates sort of start yeah, yeah, but yeah. when the, you get that crustal sort of rebound that caused enormous amounts of earthquake activity in those parts and which reverberate all around the world because you know then that caused tsunamis and that came you know flooding down and sort of hit that part of Papua New Guinea the northern part um, yeah, can you imagine 100 metre high bloody tsunami? I, I can't <sighs> imagine that. I've seen footage of the last tsunami we had, you know, people standing in buildings just watching it come in and just wipe out everything under them. Yeah. But that was only like about 10 or 20 or something. It wasn't that, wasn't yeah. that big. Yeah, that These were 100 metre high. When that sort of went, suddenly went bang like that, they just. And this, was, could you imagine like that heading towards you? You wouldn't even. You know. But I think people forget that we'd like. The We're living is... on liquid. Like this is a. We, are. we say it's a big solid rock. It's it's mostly liquid. No, it's yeah. It's just the the, the outer crust it's is like, like 40, 50 kilometers of crust, but it's on liquid. Yeah. Just that outer bit that's solid, and it's just flying through space. Yep. The sun's flying through space. We're going around the sun while we're flying through space on yep. this liquid stuff. It's going to move occasionally, and it's yeah. fragile little. Houses and buildings, and some of it's water and some of it's not. It's got that stuff absorber, changes around, not, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. indestructible. <laughs> but the trouble is, when when these tsunamis, like, I, I sort of think if I were, if there was a tsunami and that water was rushing towards me, because it actually looks quite calm when you see some of these tsunamis. If you're a little way inland, when you see the, the footage, they, it almost looks quite calm. Surreal, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, like. You, you, you almost stood there, wow, look at this, instead of actually going, shit. Run. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Take for the hills, You're looking yeah. going, wow, look at that. You're not thinking of the, the destruction that that's causing when it's coming in. It's just mm, that's where you, nature is beautiful. Mm. You know, sort of has its beautiful. limitations. Beautiful until it hits you in the <laughs> face. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful from a drone sometimes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I just think that things like that has helped carry the mermaid story around the world 
And it also has um, carried our genetic sort of like our DNA around the world. Like, you know, the CM130 haplogroup being up there in Latvia and Finland. And they have followed those rivers up to the Baltic Sea. That's exactly where it stopped, right up there. I mean, wow. Wow. That's magic. When, when was the first? How far have you traced back the mermaid story and where was it first Here. talked about? Okay, well, I've got back as far as 6,000 years so far. 6,000? Oh, well, I think last time I spoke to only, you, it was Oh, no, it's about 6,000 now. Whoa. And I get that, uh, I've gotten that from, um, you know, sort of like looking at um, rock art, sort of like people who determine ages and all that sort of stuff with it. And so there's this particular. Um, Right where the escarpment starts, a Gumbalanya moves its way through. Um, people suddenly started at a certain point of time um, painting particular things, and so the mermaid was included. The yalkout was there, and so when it's there, it's not uh, like painted over or it's not sort of like being subsumed by anything. You know that that's part of that environment at that time. And these ones are dated back to about six thousand years. So these were Red Lily Lagoon. I'll show you that when we go through. I can actually take you to Red Lily Lagoon where these mermaids, mermaid paintings are. And um, but so through to Morgjum, which is one of my family out stations at Manigrida. So there's this like so this um, space where they all fit within that six to seven thousand year old. But that sea was lapping at the bottom of that escarpment there like 10, 15,000 years ago. What's under the water? What is there under the water? You know, I'm saying what's there visible. What is under that water? There's more out there. I know that. I know that because you go to Tibi Islands, my mother and my aunties used to say, oh, out there now, you see, and it's like sea, over there there's burial grounds there and they talk about this waterfall and all this sort of stuff and I thought, wow, you know, this... The, and so you see the Elizabeth River that comes through Darwin Harbour. So there's Elizabeth River, there's Darwin, there's me over here at Wagga Beach at us. And then so that Darwin Harbour, so it comes through. Old Tiger, must be a wallaby. And so it comes over and it goes over here and then it comes around there's the Tibby Islands, right? And here at one point it just has this amazing 60 metres like drop and this beautiful waterfall and then it flows on and then till it hits that reel that goes out to, to you know, that point where it hits the Timor. Um, sort of like thing, and then it drops one and a half thousand meters, so across there. But that bit, my family talk about like it was there, and it's all underwater. They talk about it like it's yeah, yeah, we got there, we got this. There's that waterfall there, you know, rah rah rah. It's like fuck. And so I thought I'm going to check this out. So I went and got onto the bath American bathymetric, you know, sort of like thing. And so I'm looking at all the bathymetric sort of like things, and I go there, and you know what, 60 meter bloody waterfall there. And so there's this 6,000 years old. As I go. And they're talking about, this is like 7,000 years ago. Yeah. And it's all under sea. It's all under sea. And they're telling me about, no, no, we've got, and they've still got stories. It's one of the most undiscovered places on the planet, isn't it? Like, the, the, the sea. just don't go and, and discover things in the sea. It's hard to get to. Well, you talk to countrymen all the way through, they were talking, there's burial ground there, there's this there, we did that, whatever, yeah, all the way right across the top of Barnum Land. Yeah, because wow. off, off Melville Island, there's other burial grounds, you know, but People talk about it like it's just yesterday. Oh, yeah, out there. And so when we have ceremony when someone dies, okay, they, we call them out to, because we, out at Tongiao, which is my country, um, the southwestern corner, that's where we call the spirits when you die. And that means Melville Island one as well, you know. So they come over and then we call them out and then they go to the burial. And this is the one now out in the sea they're talking about, that one out there. 
And it's there. I mean, <laughs> and when so this is why I love to get science and my family sort of like stuff, and I put them together and say, hey, yeah, look at this, see? And they're like, they're just supporting each other. Because with the exception of cave paintings, there was no documentation. It's all verbal. So it's yeah. really great that you're documenting this stuff. Oh, yeah. And yep. if, it was, if it was us, um, I don't know if I'm right saying this, if it was us white folk, like, that would be way different in, in five years, let alone 7,000 years. <laughs> it would be, yeah, yeah, but, wouldn't, wouldn't but have you're such actually a... proving some of these well, there's stories. Are they proving? Because I'm, true, I'm looking, now, I'm yeah. looking at the bathymetry stuff, and there we go. Exactly as they and say. Oh no, there's yeah. this there, there's that, and I'm looking <clears> at thinking, shit, yeah, that's it. And I, I, I get the sea level readings from Elko, you know, and there's like, yep, there's, you know, and that <laughs> it proves it's proving. And I am so like, it's lovely to be in this space to be able to do that. You know, because I don't doubt for a moment what my countrymen are saying. I do not doubt for a moment. But to be able to say to white folks, yeah, you know what, there, if you want proof, you know, and you want Western proof, there you go. Here's some that's science. It. And, here's, and here's I think that's nice. Shit. Yeah, but the, yeah, but that's all right too. <laughs> yeah, that's fine no, as well. No, it's great. It's needed. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, to have them both side by side, yeah. isn't that lovely? Yeah. And I, I have no problem with that. It certainly is. What other parts of the world have um, mermaids in their culture? What other parts? You go from Iceland to Australia, you know, to West Arnhem, you know, New Zealand, South America, North America, you know, all over the world, Japan, Asia, everywhere, every, Africa, 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 South Africa, you know, and there's, um, you've got the Drakenberg, like, mountains or something like that, um, South Africa, they're in their inland, about 100, you know, kilometers, there in caves, there's mermaids, so that shows you that when those seas were up, and that was like, because it must be a water thing. You would just think, oh, I just think I'll paint a mermaid. You, know? you have to have, there has to be something. And I think that also there is something within, um, like, you know, those babies that are born with their legs fused together, you know, Siren Amelia, you know. I think mm. that maybe, you know, somewhere a baby's been born like that and that sort of like gives people some thoughts about. So, so you're not reading into the fused legs together so much of just using the situation as explaining a mermaid and a mermaid that that i think of um is hot it's just derived from fish legs. yes it's <laughs> <legs, yeah. laughs> <laughs> derived from these original stories it's just something that's, that we've derived from it look i have no idea where but i'm sort of looking at sort of points where there may have been um a look some every every myth every thing has a foundation in our yeah. own space in our That's own personal I'm, space yeah, and if a baby was born you know with a leg because they they die they, they, they're born and you know, they don't even live you know the poor little things they just don't because they can't exist because their little bodies aren't sort of equipped for this world and so um you know so maybe a little baby because i know of a child that was born in arnhem land in my country there that had Siren Amelia and little girl and she died when she was about nine or ten because you know your kidneys can't sort of function properly you just don't have the capacity in your body to live but if normally these babies are just it's fatal when you're born you sort of like but if you've got those little you know that little body's fused and you've got that sort of that what would not stop, stop someone thinking hey you know what this might be because with us when a baby is born and it dies it's a spirit that has just wanted to come and see that human world, just have an experience, and then they, you know, just want to go back to the spirit world. So to us, it's spirits visiting. So if a little baby's born that looks like a little little mermaid, little fish, 
that's a spirit might have been coming and visit and going back again. So what didn't stop people saying, hey, you know, okay, then this, um, this might actually be. But how did it become my creative being? How? How? You know? And this is at least like six, seven thousand years old. I know that now because I've been working out from the, the, the you know, the rock art and from, you know, what I'm reading from geological stuff about, you know, when there's seas and all this. So I know that it's at least six or seven thousand years old, which takes it then back to sort of like the Laurentide, you know, you know, ice, whatever, and then the sea. Yeah, it's, and Noah's flood. It all is this incredible sort of like, and it didn't rise and sort of like at it, the same time, as I said, it rose at different times. So, you know, so that story you know, might, might have moved at different times. And um, But how to get down the South Pacific? The South Pacific has only been populated for three and a half thousand years, that like the furthest points. Um, Solomon Islands, they have found a grindstone that's about 28,000 years old. So, yeah, it shows that they were there. But then there was this long point of... And then they started to move again. But they just sort of like looking at the movement, it, they came up around the top part and then down that way. But we have stories of people that came through our way and they stayed with us and they camped with us. And they, you know, we shared our lives with them for a while and then they just got up and they moved on again. And my uncle, Terry Marwilly, who's from Itacala, which is my mother's mother's country... Um, he speaks of when they came to there too, like this is long, 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 long time ago. And then there were fights over women. And so then those people got into their boats and they left. They left. They moved on. So they came, they didn't, like the scientists say they went up that way. Yeah, they might have. But we know they also came right down through the middle between Papua New Guinea and Australia. And they came to our place. And they, um, that we, we, oh, there's a particular tree there around Manigree we call Money Money, and it's like these little red berries on it, and that's Money Money is that name from that those ones that passed through. We kept their name, Money Money. So we, I mean, we had another name for it, but we always say, yeah, that's that one where those ones came through. But they came and stayed, and my my uncles can take people, you know, take me, they take me and show me, say, oh yeah, this is where they camped that time when they came, and the women, you know, they would die, you know, they'd get look for roots and die, and when. Um, Oh, probably what, 10, 15 years ago, we brought some Indonesian women over and they were uh, with my countrymen there from Manigree and they were talking about what they do to die because of the art centre. Oh, let's have this interaction, you know. We already know that we're related, you know. Anyway, so they brought these women over from Indonesia and, yeah, uh, well, no surprise that they use the same roots as what the women there in Arnhem, the same roots, the same things to dye the pandanus, to weave. And those women use the same dyes and things to dye the, you know, the batik, the same, mm. same plant. And so we're sitting there, and my aunties and that, they're sitting there talking to these women, saying, well, who was it? We give that to you, give it, or we shared, mm. you know? It was a share. We shared that. And you didn't have mobile phones in those days. We Which didn't. is probably to your credit, because like these days you can just pick up your phone and go, that's the answer to that. And I won't worry about retaining it because I can pick it up again and Google it. Yeah, you've got that ocean between the two and you've got the same story. But no, but there was... That is amazing. amazing. But you know, they came across on those trade winds and then they left on the trade winds. And that's what I was saying, you know, I I, I got all that information from the um, Indonesian Maritime Authorities to see what it would have been in the olden days long ago when they were coming over just on rafts, you know, with no sails. This is a raft with no sail. Two and mm-hmm. a half days it would have taken to go from Timor to the Australian mainland. 155 kilos. Two and a half days. And you know what? They would have had, I know, 
I mean, I just know they would have had coconuts. You just had a heap of coconuts. They float, you know, so you just put them in a thing and tie them. You just float across on I'm your bamboo. Them you, yeah. Float them with you. You want a bit of liquid? Okay, you just have a drink. You've got something to eat. Get over the other side. Off you go. I mean, it's not that hard. It's not that bloody hard. And yet scientists say, oh, they got blown off course. You know, the poor things are these primitives. You know, they wouldn't have known anything. They, no bloody way. They did reconnaissance trips. There's no way they could have populated this country without having, you know, thought, hey, let's go and check it out. Yep, okay, so let's there's bring... possibly people going to and fro as well. There would have been people doing reconnaissance and they, there's no way they would have brought breeding women across on boats if they didn't even no. know, oh, there's, let's just sail off into the breeding horizon. Breeding women. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you're not allowed to say that, Steve, you're a white terrible, English person. <laughs> no, excuse me, but there's Damn. no way they would yeah. have brought breeding yeah, women no, on a raft with no amazing. sails, with just, like, let's just sail off into the blue and not even know where we're going. They would have done a reconnaissance, they would have come back, okay, hop on, let's go. There's people like 20, 50... I speak to Chris, um, what's his name? Oh, the one who did that, you know, that had that. There was talking recently about you know, the age of us being here back to 70,000 years. What's his name, Chris? Um, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. He, he works at University of Queensland. I know a lot of Chris's, anyway, but not that one. No, no, he's, <laughs> he's an archaeologist, but he does all that stuff at Majibibi. Um, anyway, I rate. I, rang him up and said because he said oh yes so you know the people walked down from Papua New Guinea and I rang I thought no I'd never spoken to them I thought oh god so I rang up I said what's his phone number and I rang up I said no you can't say that they did not walk down through because there was a swamp that went straight down through the middle he goes really I said yeah I said here's my masters I'll send you that part of my masters you read that and he, he said wow he said sorry he said I, I will quote you now. I'm there. No, no. I said, I'm not asking for that. I said, but I want you to know that that didn't happen. What you're saying, you're saying that this happened. It didn't happen. There was a swamp through there. Even, you know, the plants, the animals couldn't get through. People didn't either, you know. That's how it happened. I said, no, no. I don't know what, there's something inside me. My, my, I'm, I just know. And I don't know what it is that I know, but I know, you know. It's amazing that you do know this and that your people know all this because it's so much... Like again, nothing was written down. That's what's really hard to comprehend. Like, yeah, and it, and it's not just like what Chris Clarkson during sorry. my life. Chris Clarkson, Chris Clarkson. that's in there. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Goes Clarkson. Goes out to you, Chris. Yeah, yeah. No, um, get him on. He's amazing. But yeah, yeah, right. I told him. Hook us up. Look at my masters. Right? We're heading. We're heading. Where's he? Sydney. No, Queensland. Queensland, okay, Queensland well, University. Sydney this year, but we yeah, we might get to Queensland. Um, yeah. Not just remembering what's happened. I mean, most of us can't remember what we did last week, but you guys are remembering without writing down these stories from centuries ago, thousands of years, yeah. millennia. And, and they're normally stories of survival, stories that are things that, of things that are important and often things to do with life and death. So that's why the Merbo one's an interesting it one. It explains like, the landscape. fit in to, to It that. explains our existence. It explains our landscape. It explains what... You know, just what we're here for, you know. You know, when I get up every morning, I come out here and I say, you know, this explains my landscape, you know, now. But, you know, this other stuff explained, because I, I I've got internet in there now, but you know what? There would have been other things that once explained your landscape, you know, like why do we have these rivers? Why do the people come and we have these stories? What about this, you know? Like why, did this, why was this baby born looking like this, you know? This explains our landscape. This explains our lives. This explains us and who we are. And nobody else in West Arnhem has that as a creator being, just my countryman. And for me to be a mermaid, to me to be a yaokao, I mean, it's like, 
such a such a special thing. And my grandmother, and she looked at me and she knew I was going to come back. That's why, you know. This all ties in. And how, but when you look back, it all ties in, all this incredible sort of stuff. It all just ties in. And isn't it amazing? I mean, what can I say? It's, it's, um, no, it's not amazing. It is. It is. And these stories, not this, and, and I, stories sounds a little bit sort of like trite, you know, but the stories, this, this knowledge that has been given to me, and I just sort of like, has, I, you know, what? I totally believe in genetic memory because I've been born with stuff and I go to places and I know that space, or I'll say something and say, yeah, that's right, you know. I mean, no one makes a big deal, but it's like, yeah, you know, you, you know. And it's like, you know. Well, it's like you've got um, a box of day-old chickens and you do shadow puppets over the chickens and they don't give a shit, but then you put a shadow puppet of a hawk, they all know that that's yeah. something to be afraid of. That's genetic memory, isn't yeah. it? Yep, yeah, that's and, it. And I'm, I'm a snake breeder and you get all these snakes, terrestrial snakes or, or any snake that seems to know what to do and then you, gre- you, you, you breed green tree pythons and the day they hatch and you artificially incubate them and everything, so the parents have told them nothing. <laughs> but the day they hatch you put them into their enclosure with, with a tree in there and they coil up as a chondro python should coil up and they they use their towel as a curdle lure to to get food and things like that no one taught them how that how the hell do they know that what are those green ones called you know the green ones with the lovely little like what patterning down there yeah that one green tree python oh mm. they're around here Oh, yeah, there wouldn't be, yeah. Oh, mm. yours will be... Green tree snakes here. It would be the green trees. You've got to talk to countrymen because they know where all these things are. Mm. It's like, you know, the scientists were like excited, like, oh, my God, we found the Gordian finch, all right? Yeah. And my countrymen said, well, you could come and ask us. We knew they were here, you know. <laughs> yeah, we spoke about iron pelly pythons earlier. Yeah, and yeah, and they're like, they're there, you know, and yeah. they're, they're over, they move... You know, and you've seen them. I've I saw, not held one I saw this one. You've seen one. It, it was like <laughs> that. It was as big as my thigh. And just stand there, the sun and himself. Yeah, yeah. And that that was just outside of Manigree. That would have been around um, Colorado, where my uncle's outstation is. That's wow. On the way. No, I mean, you get told these things, but you've got to really speak to that countryman because I'll tell you what. Mm. It's like with Neil. You know, these the thylacines still live up in the in the escarpment country. The oldies used to have them for pets. We had them for pets. They were pets. We call them dungo, 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 not dungo, dungo. And they, they're pets. And, um, yeah, they're, they're still up there. You can hear them calling out. Just for the listener, uh, Neil it refers to Neil Waters. Oh, we've sorry. Done, yeah, no, 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 we've no. done an episode with Neil, so they can yeah. check that out. Neil Waters, I think it's episode five or something, four or five. Oh, okay. No, but they still live up there. They still live in that country. And my countrymen, you know, because I, I, I love them. I, and, you know, what comes to, you know, that dingo, they, they like that, they, they're runners, you know, they, 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 they like that plains country. They, they run, they pursue the predator. Yeah. Whereas the, that one now, that dungo, they live up in that country there and they just, um, by stealth, and if they weren't still around, your countrymen wouldn't talk about them. They're still there. Mm. No, they're, they're, the countrymen talk about them. Mm. They're, they're there. They still talk about them in the Flinders Ranges. And they even talk about other species of thylacine. And they've got names for them as well. It's yeah. quite interesting because there was lots of other thylacines as well. Well, we Keeps Neil in business. It does. It keeps him good on trucking him. along. Awesome. Well, between Gumbalanya and between Maningrida, there are like at least 13 different rock art of... Thylacine. No. There are some you can only access from 
from the water, aren't there? Well, there's one particular one where you and you lie on your back and look it up, which shows you that that would have been done a long time ago because when the water was down yeah. and they were just, but yeah, and what well, would be, yeah, at um, at Yolk, you know that red lily green. There's one there, you know, like yeah, all the way through that country. But old people talk about them, and they were they were pets. They're the pets, you know. And they were lovely. And they would have been like having a little possum or something. You know? And they, were, and they were, would have been really sweet little things. I, I just, and I think that, you know, they would have been so, you know, that, that fur, that possums yeah. and that, they would have been so soft. I just, I know that they would have been, <laughs> no, they would have been like dog hair. They would have been really soft and they, they might have been like nice. possum hair, you know. Because they look a bit bristly when you yeah. see them in a museum or anything. They, they yeah, but they would have been not had bristly. their natural fur no, and they, stuff. They wouldn't, they yeah, they just I wonder if they'd be like oily at breeding season like quolls. Quolls go a bit oily at breeding season. Yeah, they do get really oily, don't they? Yeah. But there's something that also one countryman told me recently, I forgot to tell Neil, when they were um, feeding those little ones, the fur got a little bit sort of like rough. But apart from that, the fur was nice. But I can get that if they're feeding littlies. But no, look, you know, you've still got to come at at the country. I wouldn't take you out there. love to. Come I love that. There. Cheers to that. Yeah, cheers to that, please. Yeah. Look, please, come Thank out you. there. Sit there and you know, like I said, my brother Dean Yababak, he's the um, the senior ranger for that country. Sit in that country, would it be nice to sort of put a camera or something? I don't know, but I've been trying to get Neil to do a podcast. He's got such a his own podcast, he's the most downloaded episode. We've done we've released 40 episodes of this Mm -hmm. now, we do one a week, and his is the most downloaded episode. Granted, he, he does share it a lot, but he's got a massive following on social yeah, media. He works yeah. for it. He, he mm. wants to get that out there. He 100% believes it. We all want him to find a one day. Mm. We all are desperate for him to find one yeah. one day. I don't think there's a person that's not desperate for him to get. And he's 100% yeah. genuine. And he's, yeah, and he's, and he's oh, knowledgeable yeah. across the board too. With um, you know, he, he speaks with the indigenous people. He's knowledgeable about the environment, the history of the environment, the history of the European history and the sightings and... It's no joke to him. He, he, it's, his, it's his calling. Oh, he's totally there, yeah. Mm, mm. I mean, mm. pe- people, some people accuse him of just making stuff up. Um, and I jump in there and I say, absolutely yeah, not. I, this I, guy I is 110% um, committed to what he's doing and that's what he's about. And he, he's following his heart and his dreams. You know something? I took him out to visit my, my cousin Mandy out at Kakadu. Because that's her country, Kakadu. You know, you know, when Orlangi Rock and all that sort of stuff. That's her country. She's got an outstation right there, and you must come and stay there too. Anyway, so I take him out to meet her, and we're talking about it. And she goes, she looks at him and says, "Yeah, yeah, that old mob. They were pets." They were pets. At, <laughs> yeah, and and he looks at it, and she looks at him, and, goes, and he's like, and that look on his face, like, my God, isn't this just like so nice that someone. Fucking understand. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. he's like fucking understand. It does his head in, yeah. But he was yeah. like, and he's like, oh, and I looked at him and I'm like, no, this game is so, yeah. But you know, he was just like, so, that, oh, he was just so like, wow. And she's like, yeah, you know, my cousin's sitting next to me. I'm like, yeah, you know, because you know, they were, they were, you know, and he's like, Oh, and you know, it was so sweet. I love the fact <coughs> that people knock the shit out of him. He just keeps the going. I've all the time, but he just keeps going because he's got well, that slight belief and he's not deluded. You know, no, he's not. He will stand there and say, I think and hope they're out there. Oh, he saw them. He's seen yeah. them. So he's... He saw them in Tassie, didn't he? Yeah. He's seen them. But you have him just sit there with my cousin. We're having lunch there, you know, and we're just like yapping about. And then I said, so anyway, you know, and Mandy goes, yeah, yeah, no, well, you know, I'll pop that up. And he goes, 
oh, and you can seem like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. He gets so much criticism. For, I mean, I guess, look, I'm, I'm a little bit sympathetic to the scientific community too because as much as I love all this stuff we're talking about and it's absolutely important, yeah. I mean, you would know too. I mean, you've, you've, you're doing a PhD, so we understand there's, both things have a role. It's not one or the other. Yeah. Um, but the, the scientific community, I mean, there's a lot of people that are, uh, they love Neil and they love what he's trying to do. But they, they need some hard proof before they can take anything seriously. Mm. Um, and I think in Neil's world, he gets a phone call every week with the sighting. So he's always on the tail end yeah. of something going on. So in his, he's on the front line of it. Um, that's a very different thing. I completely understand that they want to see complete and utter proof. But, yeah. But you look at it this way, you know. Um, there's something that we know exists, you know, and my countrymen know it exists, and we don't need photographs to say it exists and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? You know, my family know and see, and we don't have to. But you know, and and I was saying to Neil, oh, I told you, hey, what I saw, I told him. Oh, I didn't tell you. Okay. You haven't told. Anyway, me. I'm in oh, Hobart, right? No, no, I'm in, no, I'm <laughs> in Hobart, right? So there I am, and there's three indigenous. Hobart, you know, people, not Hobart, sorry, Tasmanians, sorry, I won't say Tasmanian, neutral water, people from neutral water. And I say, talking about the thylacine, they say, yeah, yeah, you know. And one woman in particular, Fiona, she goes, well, she said, you just, because I said, I've got, I love the thylacine. I said, and I got, we got them up in the Northern Territory in the Escarpment. I said, and, um, and this really lovely friend of mine, he, you know, he, um, that's what he does, it's his passion. She goes, well, you tell him, look at those old photos. You, you tell him, Go look at those old photographs. And I said, well, always. She goes, get into the museum. She said, because I've seen them. She said, I've seen those photographs. She said, you tell him, get in that museum. Look at those old photographs. Because when they're in the canoes, because you know how they used to sail, you know, paddle between the islands around Tasmania? You look at what's sitting in the canoe. She said, that's not dog. That's not dingo. That's thylacine. No. I said, really? She goes, yeah. She said, you tell him that one. Because she said, they were part of our life as well. I said, Okay. But she wow. said, and we, we believe they're still here. She said, but you tell him if he's looking for evidence for, you know, stuff or whatever, just something to, whatever, she just give him some hope. Tell him to look in the old archives and that, find the photographs of the old people in the canoe, she said, because what's sitting in that canoe is thylacine. It's not dogs, not dingoes. So there weren't any dogs here. I mean, dingoes came over 6,000 years ago. And, yeah. And obviously dingoes played a role too in, in the communities just like dogs do all over the world. Yeah. But that's interesting that the dog counterpart through conversion evolution, the do- the thylacine played that role here for who knows, maybe tens of thousands of years. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and they look like the sweet little things too. I mean, you know, they, they just look, I, I, would, I would have one for a pet. They look so nice, you know. <laughs> but, you know, countrymen talk about, like, yeah, you know, old, the oldies had them for pets. It's like, yeah. I totally believe that, but yeah, they had a picture. They used to be like, yeah. We had dingoes too, you know. We had um, dingoes, and they used to hunt for us. And my grandfather told me how um, they used to, you know, those land snails. You know, the land snail. They used to make necklaces of those. They put them around the dogs' necks, the dingoes' necks, when they were hunting down in the lowlands. It was it wasn't up in the escarpment because that's a different story. But down in the lowlands, and so when they were hunting. Um, and those dingoes would chase them and they'd hear that 
click, 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 click of that necklace. And so that when they like hear something rushing through the bush, they hear that ne- that they wouldn't accidentally spear the dogs. They'd, oh, so right. that, but they would use them. So they'd chase them, you know, chase the wallabies, and then they could, you know, but they, yeah, they worked, and they would be like, oh, that one. If you have that one and that one, and we have those pups, you know, and they, they were doing this like thousands of years ago. It's my grandfather telling me this, you know, like yeah, no, we used to breed them one, get that proper one out. Oh, that's a good hunter. Oh, that was good breeder, you know, all this sort of stuff. But they used to put those little necklaces around the dingoes so that then when they were running through that bush and they couldn't see them, they wouldn't accidentally spear the little... And also they would piss on their feet before they had a hunt. The men would piss on their feet and then when they ran through that bush, their own little dingo, yeah, their own ones would know where that mask, yeah, the one they belonged to <laughs> ran. Wow. So they wouldn't they get... the scent for the dog. Yeah, so they wouldn't get separated. Yeah, right. Well, they'd get separated, but in there they'd find out, but they would, they would just be able to get closer, you know. They'd know, oh, yeah, he's just over there. But they, they would, but so they'd piss on their feet. So when they ran through that bush, you know, hunting, whatever, then that dingo, when he, because they'd send them that way, and then they would all be able to, but... Are these things that your grandfather um, experienced firsthand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Does much of this kind of stuff happen now, or is it... It's a lot of it. It's still sort of happening now. I mean, one of my cousins, Wilton, you know, he, he, he does stuff like that, you know. But maybe not so much, but still still a little bit there. But, yeah, but no. I mean, they're lovely stories. Like, you know, my, my grandfather told me that, he said, you know that cat, that cat I'm there, yeah? He said, well, it wasn't that white man that brought that cat to this country. And they really? He goes, no. He said, Keep it was going. that... He said it was that Macassan, that Macassan mob that came over because they needed to have cats on their boats because they had their rice and all that sort of stuff and rats and mice. So they had cats on their boats. So when they came, you know, to do that stuff with it, get the tree pang, they had cats there. And then they'd, you know, just keep the, any mice. And, um, but occasionally, I guess they dumped a few overboard, you know, kittens and dumb days like Who, who bought the cat Macassan? Macassans bought the cats. Who were he they? Said, the Indonesians. The Indonesians that came here getting a tree pang for hundreds and hundreds. They say the Dutch were the first known European people brought cats over in like the 1600s or something. No, he says it was the Macassans that brought them because Even before when that. they came, you know, like hunting, or not hunting, but they came to get that tree pang, you know, that Beish um, they, yeah, they came with the cats on their boats. That's you know? interesting. I mean, up here in the top end, there are no foxes. No foxes. There are no rabbits. Do you have cat issues? There are cats, but, you know, people kill them. They eat them, you know. So, <laughs> so there's a few around. Yeah, a few around, like, well, I mean, they're pretty big. You know, they're growing pretty big, but, yeah, they just kill them and eat them. They are huge, aren't they, the wild cats? Yeah, yeah they get them. Yeah. But when you think of the generations and generations that they've been here, but, yeah, no. But, yeah, my, my, my grandfather said, no, no, it's not that white fella. It was the Macassans, that, the Indonesian mob that brought them over because they were on their boats. And that's fair enough. That's fine. I feel safer being here now. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. No one's gonna. No one's yeah. gonna have an issue with you. Nothing. We can't blame Steve for that one anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Weight. Yeah. Such a release. <laughs> but yeah, no, we love you to take you out country. How nice to do that. And, and Steve would be it. on it just for the Owen Pelly Python. Uh, no, else. for the whole um, the whole yeah, experience. For the whole experience. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Owen Pelly Pythons would obviously be the massive cream on the top. You have to. Oh my goodness! Sake. You're going to Fog Dam, aren't you? Yes. yes. When? 
Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, night with Gavin Bedford. And if it's great, probably Sunday night. Yeah, probably Sunday night. And then we'll miss well. our flights and do it Monday night, <laughs> Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fog Jam, if you go down a little bit further, keep driving. Because, I mean, there's lots of snakes there, as you know. Um, I don't yet, but. Oh, no, there's sure. snakes. There's a lot of snakes. I love Fogdam. I've been there a few times. I fucking yeah, love Fogdam. But anyway, if you keep going and keep driving on, and you're sort of heading towards, um, uh, what do you call it, you know, that jumpy crocodile cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adelaide but River. There's that, yeah, but you've got that really long part that's sort of like the wetlands, that's been, that road that's been built up. That is the road for snakes. I'll get you to show that you. Is the, the, that is the road for oh, snakes. I mean, it's in downy you know you drive across that night you go whoa and there's always snakes there and i've been driving across like and ones have sort of like you know trying to attack the car and everything it's like really messy <laughs> yeah and you look down that side and you can see like you know half-eaten bloody little baby buffaloes that have been you know, eaten by crocs and it's like oh but at night time that is the snake road I don't, I don't cross that at night too often, but, yeah, that's a snake road. That's well, where heaps. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, there are heaps and heaps of snakes yeah, there. Wow. It's amazing we'll road for snakes. We'll get you to show us that on yeah, the maps we'll before we go. Yeah, that bit. but mm. I will come over with you if you want, and I'll show you that road. Okay, this is the road for snakes, because I've travelled that night time lots of times, but that is the road for snakes. they like there. You would not every single type of snake, but they because that goes right across a bit of a wetland, so that side there, you've got crocodiles and whatever. That side, you've got crocodiles and whatever. Straight across the middle, snakes will come up on that bit. Getting away from the crocodiles. <laughs> no, well, they're just trying to cross. They're just trying yeah. to do their business and get across. And they all <laughs> ride across it. And it's like, I don't know, from here to, oh, further, where, where that road, this long stretch of road. It's just one long straight stretch of road. And you can just see these snakes all lined up across that road. So that sounds like the causeway in Fog Dam. Where I've gone. No, no, no. It's further down. Okay. Well, that too, yeah, that's amazing as well. It's amazing. It used to be rice paddy fields where they did flood irrigation. Yeah, but then they thought, oh, let's plant some rice, and then all the magpie geese thought, oh, this is nice. We don't have to go anywhere now. We are going to eat this rice, you know. And the snakes went, this is nice. This is nice. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's all going. But, you know, there's some beautiful. um, I saw a few um, crocodile nests there as well. Oh, When I was there, last last time I was there, um, when you go down towards the other end, there's this big. You know how they come in and they sort of like make that flatten, all that they make the big flat. But there's one dam, that one other end. They're big... hatching now too, crocodiles. Yeah. Oh, is this? Yeah, this is hatching. This is hatching time. We just went to um, Crocodilus Park, and I'm buying two saltwater crocodiles this week. So oh. we just went up and had a look at them now, and they're sending. What them do off they cost? What does a crocodile cost? Oh, I'm paying two hundred dollars each for a little freshie, <laughs> a little saltwater it crocodile, rather. Insane, doesn't it? Um, but um, you could have gone out Arnhem and just got. I just got some. I'd have to get a take permit. There's <laughs> yeah. all sorts of legalities. Oh, um, is there? Yeah, yes. yeah. But the, I'm I'm happy to support the park. I mean, yeah. Uh, like we talked about today, like with the wildlife parks, there's so much. The, the money they get from those parks, they fund so much research to protect the animals and the environment. Yeah, and they're 100 percent into whoa, whoa, whoa. it. What's this? Oh, there's a green tree frog. Look at that. Oh, where's big that fat green tree oh, frog just popped oh, right yeah, up to Steve. That's, that's better than a cane oh, no, toad, isn't it? <laughs> sorry, guys. Just no, that's, a wow, wow, wow. That's there. Kiri, that one. Kiri, I'll call it Kiri. Oh, is that Kiri? There's so many inverts around for Kiri to eat. No, well, there's, no, there's lots around. They, they'll come out. This, she's not the only one. That is my, my they're amazing. favorite frog. This frog's about. Oh, no, they're beautiful. Nine centimeters long. Beautiful green color. Did you hear that noise before up there? I heard you, that, that's yeah, the Asian yeah, house kept, geckos. Oh, it is yeah, the, I, I yeah. thought it was the Asian house geckos. They I talk to each other. Mm. We have the golden ones too, the ones that are like the beautiful golden um, 
little bellies and um, yeah, there's a few different green tree frogs around here. We f- I found one one day. That's a big frog. That is a big frog. Oh, no, well, it's not mouse, really. No, there's bigger ones. No, she's, no, she's not the biggest. She's, there's bigger ones around. Asian house gecko. Coming back to us. But w- one day I was not here, but another place I was sort of like went out to hang some clothes on the line. And I was sort of walking. And I hear this little little squeaky noise. I think, what on earth is that? And I sort of like stop, put the basket down and look. And there was this little tiny like this, little green frog. And wow. she was there, and she was covered in ants. She was mm. on the side. Like, oh my god! So I get up and then I brush those ants off, and I rush her inside, and I get tweezers and I pick them. And she had them under her arms and everything. I was, I was pick them all off, and then Kinji, like you know, Kinji, my daughter, she's studying zoology. You know, she's going to be an entomologist. Oh, she? She's right into moth, isn't she? She's like flaming, like the the, the hawk moth. You know. I want to hook anyway, her up with my friend but this girl, she's yeah. mad for like insects and and so anyway, she's always had these little aquarium thing. Oh, so, so there was an empty one. So I rush in there, so I get that little one and I put it in there and I you know, make and then Kinji comes. Out. I said, look, Kinji, this little darling, and she was like, and we, so we were out there, so like trying to catch things for her to eat and all that sort of stuff, and she was sitting on my head, but she said, no. The thing, okay, I clean her off and I wash her off and she sat in my hand and she went to sleep because she was just like so exhausted, I think, mm. from just crying, you know, because I was answering. So she sat there and I sat for like a, a while with her in my hand and, um, and yeah, so then when she, eventually I popped her into one of these little aquariums in Kinji's bedroom and then Kinji goes, I said, look, Kinji, we've got this one. Went, oh, so we called her Kiri Pungle. I don't know why, but we called her Kiri <laughs> and, um, and so we got this little girl and I, I went up to um, the prison catch um, like cockroaches and crickets and then they breed them and then they sell them to like pet shops. Really? And so, the yeah, prison? In prison. And so, so I went up. So I was buying all these things. And so anyway, little Kiri Pungle was like that. She, Kiri Pungle became like so like that, you know. And <laughs> and then Amber and Kinji say, "Mum, you got to let her go." And I'm saying, "No, Kiri, she might not. I just want to make sure that she's okay because she she just loved that space. She she'd sit my hand, she sit on my shoulder. I was like, <laughs> little little Kiri Pungle. And so I'd be yeah writing my stories, and she'd be sitting there on my shoulder, you know. And um, and then they're like, Mum. Look, it's come been on. eight years, mum. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah man, come on, mum. We've got to let, we, got to let Kerry now, Pungle go now. Yeah, it's like, oh. And I, I told you, I was in tears that day. But anyway, so Amber, Kenji and I, we sort of like took her out in the garden. We said, okay, Kerry, it's time for you to go now. You know what, the little buggy, she wouldn't go. She wouldn't freaking go. She like hung in. You know, of course she like, wouldn't. It's huh? <laughs> a good wicket, I. yeah. <laughs> and, and so I'd say, okay, darling, so I'd you know, like catch a few moths and give her all sort of stuff. No, she loved it, you know. Anyway, we, it was like hell when we had to leave that. Oh, we didn't have to. When we left, it's like, oh. So we searched around the garden. Oh, my God, we can't leave without Kiri Pungle. So we actually found her and took her with us. Isn't that dreadful? <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I'm sure she's got a big colony now where she is, but yeah, how about... No, that's this one. Of the, but I um, I just love them. It's funny how you get talk. attached to animals. Yeah, they don't get attached. They're like, oh, this yeah, is candy. Yeah, they don't care. Unless it's a dog. Yeah. Dog, dogs are obsequious, but everything else doesn't care. <laughs> oh, but little Kiri Pungle, she's great. You know, you'd be there and sort of like, oh, this Kiri. You know, you'd be sitting out there having a glass of wine. Going, oh, this Kiri, she'd jump up. She would She would bloody jump up, you know. She'd That's great. No, this is like that wallaby that comes out and goes, you know, that little one now. I mean, little honest, you know. It's like, hey, they, they, people don't attribute sort of like feelings to animals, but they... They know. They know. They know when people care. They know when they're loved. <laughs> they do. 
So Steve's just turned his spotlight on, folks. Oh, that's okay. He's inspired. Because we are literally in the jungle. (laughs) We we really are. You don't believe the owls? Do you like owls? Oh, do you hurt Oh, you get the Rufus. That's that's a go-to joke when someone says owl. Are you okay? Oh, no, Um, there's the the barking. I've got the Asian. I've got the... um, There's those Rufus um, owls too, aren't there? Oh, yeah, up here, yep. But, you know, and I've got woof, woof. At some of them, woof, 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 and it's like, and I was sitting there one night and going, someone went, woof, and I went, woof, woof, and they go, woof, woof, back to me. I'm like, oh my God. I was like, wow. And I was just sitting out here, so I went, woof, woof, back, and they go, woof, woof, and they were just sitting out here talking to me. And, and I know that they know I was a human, but I just said, like, oh my God. I don't know what I'm saying when I'm having a conversation with a bloody with barking owl. owl, you know. No, but they hang around here all the time. I didn't just insult it. Yeah. No. And look, see over there when you go up the toilet, see that handrail? One night, oh, yeah. I yeah. go walking up there and I went to just put my hand on the handrail to walk up and what's sitting there but one of those little bloody boo-boo sitting right there, oh. sitting right there. And I went to put my hand and it... And he's sitting there. And I'm there, oh, sorry. And his eyes were this beautiful orange because of the reflection. And I said... Sorry. And he let me walk past him <laughs> and walk into the toilet. And then as I was walking up, then he flew across and sat in that tree. But he let me actually right there. I nearly put my hand on him and said, sorry. Then I walked past him up in the toilet. And then he then from there flew into that over here. Beautiful. I know. It's a beautiful place here, isn't it? Yes. That's amazing. This is a place of... This is mermaid country. Do you know? This is for the Larry Key people. This is actually mermaid country. And... Ten kilometres down the road, you would have passed that community, Bellewin. There's a waterhole just the other side where that mermaid has a waterhole and then she goes down underground, comes all the way down through and then comes out the sea just down here. And I wish that um, I would have taken you down there. Maybe I'll take you down in the morning before you leave, okay? All right. Take you down. But So that mermaid comes out there. But all this is mermaid country for the Larrakee people. It's really strong mermaid country. Isn't it astounding? Christopher Columbus talk about mermaids? He did, but no, I've got that quote, but he spoke of two men who saw mermaids. He quotes, or he talks of two men that actually saw mermaids. And when they came, he said they were not anything that he thought was desirable. I thought that was interesting. Um, Mm. I thought mermaid would have been interesting just in itself, but he just didn't find them desirable. So, So, yeah, no, that's... They'll probably look very at high expectations. <laughs> well, don't they say that men see haven't seen women for months and they see a manatee in the water? Yeah, I don't think that's sexy. I don't think, that, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I actually either. don't think that's true. I mean, and the thing that bothers me too, because I, when, when I was in Melbourne, I found a few interesting books that had that sort of mythology. It's always these white, white women. There's never any black mermaids. And I want to change all of that. I want to say, hey, you know what? We have them too. It's not all about these white sort of like... We have mermaids. Well, you're, you've got the oldest um, mermaid stories. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to sort of like show. That we, ours may well have been before anyone else's. Who knows? What are some of the other old ancient mermaid stories from other parts of the world? There aren't that many that old. You know, they speak of like... 5,000 years ago in the Middle East. That's pretty old. Uh, Mesopotamia. Well, yeah, but ours are older. But 5,000 years ago, and it's a man. It's a merman. A merman. Not a mermaid, but Aquaman. a merman. A man. For the ladies. Yeah, so he's a merman. So um, <laughs> so there he is, and his name is Aidy or Spain. something like that. Oh, no. So he's a god. He's a god. 
and then somehow they tie him into you know within all the religious stuff they he gets somehow tied into um the noah's flood i think i'm not quite sure how mm. but so the oldest one that is actually recorded is a merman not a mermaid and so then you know it gets younger and younger and younger nothing gets on the at the moment the oldest stuff is my stuff in arnhem land that's the oldest stuff and I want to just say how, because I'm doing this right from the perspective of someone from West Arnhem looking out and say, hey, this is what it is for me. What, how did it end up around the world? How, how, how? Mm. how? And that's why I did that DNA, because every point of my sort of like existence may well have a mermaid point. I don't know. So I want to bring that in. But this is like, I want to... Well, they know that I'm going to be going beyond the bounds of sort of like Western, sort of like, hey, because I've already said that to them. I'm not going to be following the Western concepts of what um, methodologies that you use. This is what it is. This is what my countrymen say. You're following the, the trail, and however I, it leads. And I am following the trail from me as a human being. It's from me outwards. It's not about, oh, they said that. They said that. Oh, goodness, they said that there. This is about me because my mother gave birth to a mermaid. This is me, you know. This is what this whole PhD is about and from there then it starts and, I, and I'm open minded I can you know hey this is there this is there yeah, that, that is their belief I want to see where they you know could that have been connected because of trade could that have been connected because of slavery you know could that be connected because of this you know so but you know and if someone else gave that to us I'm happy to say that too but I'm seeing this all from my perspective as a Yolk, yolk. And, you know, there's also that thing too, like um, outside of Beswick, there's this place, you come down from the jump up, you come down, then you sort of like head off to Beswick. But next to the jump up, this strange hill, it's very strange. You've got like, you've got all the range and the ridges through there, but this is just like this conical hill just comes just like that. That is a mermaid place. Where? They're out in the middle of nowhere. That is a mermaid place. So it doesn't always relate to water and rivers and things. I mean, most of it does, but this is. And so was that once, you know, when the seas were high, was that once a place, you know, where, you know, what, what is that? There might be an ancient connection to that being with water because mermaids, you've got to have water, but this is a place all by itself right there. You come down the jump up. And there is this conical, and it's the strangest looking hill. No other hills around it look like that. It just sort of comes up in a cone like that. And that's a mermaid hill. We all so, came from water. We talk about ancestry, we but we came from water. We, yeah. We evolved from, from aquatic creatures. Yes. Yeah. This is one of the most spectacular places that I've sat. <laughs> and just listen to the sounds and, mm. and, and the outlook of what we're. It reminds me of Borneo. Yes, it does. We went to Borneo last year. I think we should go down the beach, actually, and go and see if there's any crocodiles in there. How far is the beach from here, then? Like three minutes walk, you know. No way. You see the bush. Beyond that, the bush is just... Oh, the beach, sorry, is just the other side. All right, we're going to go for a bit of a wander. (laughs) Ree's going to take us on a tour. We're going to go look for crocodiles, so we're going to leave it there. Um, So, with that, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.